If you're listening to this podcast on an Android, you should check out the Podcast Republic app. It's available on the Google Play Store and has thousands of great reviews. So it's not just me telling you it's good. It's many people out there. You favorite your favorite shows. They download when they post new episodes and you get to listen to your shows like Dissecting the 80s that simply. So check out the Podcast Republic app on the Google Play Store. Just wanted to take a second and remind you folks about our very big, exciting announcement. July is going to be the first ever Dissecting the 80s Listener Request Month, which means we need your help. The phone line is open right now. You call 856-347-7328. Go ahead and back that up if you need it. It's 856-DISSECT. And you leave hopefully your name and where you're calling from. If you're not comfortable with that, just the name is fine. And the name of the movie you'd like us to do, and a short description of what you'd like for us. We've gotten uh, quite a few in so far, and everybody has done a fabulous job so far at keeping it short and sweet and to the point. So kudos to you if you've called in already and you're hearing this. You did a great job. Um, no more than two per person, please, and only one movie per call. So please don't rattle off a whole list of names because we won't be able to use it. But we're going to put those into a hat and draw them out uh, to complete our listener request month alongside two of our Patreon supporters, Michelle and uh, another person who has not yet told me that I can say their name. But thank you to them for making this possible. It's a very exciting thing. Yes. And if you need us to modulate your voice like you're some kind of witness to something on the news pro- on a news program, we can do that. Just let us know. <laughs> yeah, I could do that. Uh, absolutely. Hello, my, um, name although... is, my name is Jack, and I need to request you Duke Urban <laughs> Cowboy. <laughs> um, the other thing is, if you're an international listener... Um, I realize that that makes calling a challenge. So if you are an international listener uh, or you're somebody who's unable to make the call, you can record a short voice memo and email that to dissectingthe80s at gmail.com. So uh, trying to make sure everybody's included. I totally understand if you don't want to call a phone number, but we do. Really, the important part is that we have something to play at the top of the episode that's like, hi, this is a real person. and we Your number doesn't go movies. on a list. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm not going to publish any information about you, but... It's hard to do listener request month and then be like, yep, this is a movie that someone picked and here it is. We're trying to make sure that we are held a little bit accountable so people know that like – We'll show receipts. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you know, so once again, the phone line is open. It's open until midnight Eastern Standard Time on May 31st. So at the time that this episode drops, you've got about 25 days left, which you think is plenty of time, but it's going to be here in a second. I just know it. So Wait, Do you mean uh, – do you mean 11.59 on May 31st? Yes. Okay. At the stroke of midnight, 11.59.59, May 31st, Eastern Standard Time, it's over. At the stroke of midnight, your call is invalid. So if you call us at, tw- at 12... At the last stroke, at the last <laughs> chime of the bell of midnight. Yes, exactly. If you call us and the timestamp is 12.00.00.00.001, June 1st, I'm sorry, but it's not a, it's not in the list of requests. Sorry, but. Cinderella. So get those calls in, uh, and and we look forward to seeing what else comes our way. It's been some really great stuff so far. Welcome to Dissecting the 80s. I am Trip Lano, one half of the Mega Podcasting Powers. And with me, as always, is a man who also didn't know what to get his mother for Mother's Day this year, so we got her an episode, the Macho Mandrew. Andrew Lano. And here's the thing. Episodes don't die. And episodes aren't kind of squishy fruit covered in chocolate. So that's true. That's true. You're winning. And it's not empty calories. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think this is, this is a really brilliant, not at all selfish thing that we've done. 
we are doing the Mike Nichols EGOT. Mike Nichols, I should say. Let's oh. do, do respect where it's uh, where it's due. Uh, EGOT winner Mike Nichols film Working Girl from 1988. I'm pretty I sure. I think it's 88. We got uh, we got your Harrison Ford. We got your Melanie Griffith. Welcome back to the show. After I'm glad Roar. to see you're not um, <laughs> almost eaten by a lion for a whole picture. Uh, Sigourney Weaver and Joan Sigourney Cusack. Weaver. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so a lot of fun stuff to unpack Who here. Who mom always refers to as my favorite. <laughs> yeah, she does. And she's like, your favorite, isn't it? And I'm like, who's my favorite? Yeah. Yes. And she's like, actually... Joan Cusack. I'm like, I mean, I, I, I love Joan Cusack. I think she's a gem. But like. She's not. I wouldn't be like. Oh, that's if you're going Andrew's favorite. That that it wouldn't be what I pick. You know what the craziest part is? She's done it so much that I think that too. And so I saw her, and I I swear to God, the first time she popped on screen, I was like, Oh, Andrew's gonna be real excited. <laughs> I love the woman well enough. I think Joan Cusack is wonderful. It's just I don't know why. I would argue. I would argue the better Cusack. Maybe the better Cusack. Oh, 100 percent. She's the better Cusack. 100 percent. So his. So he's got the higher highs, but she has the more consistent. Oh, exactly. Run. So like Husek's got a few like real high you can't highs. Say that they both have the same last name. Well, uh, John obviously real high highs, but then some stuff that is and 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 his later like current era career is is baffling to me. He he's taken a turn. Okay, we, let's do the thing and then we can we can start off. We watched Working Girl, so you know what that means. <laughs> I didn't realize we hadn't said that yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We gotta go back. We gotta go dissect the 80s. It's your sassy sister film, The Die Hard. Someone's gotta be talking about your sassy sister film, The Die Hard. When the mega powers explode. I'm talking about the 80s. Oh, yeah. Great Scott. Cream of the crop. Oh, yeah. This baby hits 88 miles per hour. You're going to see some serious shit. So I have been on a kick lately of 90s action types schlock because I discovered recently that if you have any nostalgia for that era movie. Like True Lies kind of thing? Yeah. uh, That's all right. So if you got your Arnold Schwarzenegger type films, right? Uh You got your you got your top tier, which is your Terminator, your uh, True Lies, probably. Uh, you know stuff like that, and then you go down a tier, and you got your like your commando, your last action hero, your uh, eraser. Oh, I okay. forget about eraser. But like that tier where it's like the action's really good, the plot is totally goofy nonsense, but like it's kind of fun to watch and it moves right along. It's tight, yeah. short movie. So uh, that is a type of movie that I thought was gone because all action movies are superhero movies now. They're just like these huge big things. Except for that Dwayne The Rock Johnson die hard with an amputee. Yeah, but even that is like the scope of that is enormous compared to die hard. Like the stakes of these movies are not the world is going to end. And it like that is a big piece of it to me in like the, the 90s. It's like the action's real good. The plot is mostly nonsense. And typically we're not saving the world. Like we can be occasionally that's happening, but it's usually just like someone's got to go get a thing or save a person or do the bear bombs like the, stakes, the same as money, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, like Die Hard, a great example is I think one of the best action movies of all time, but it's like a, you know, a robbery movie. Ultimately yeah, it's a heist movie. medium stakes. 
Yeah, exactly. So uh, all of these movies exist still. They're just now made direct to DVD, and they're typically directed by the mostly men who are like the the stunt directors on big action movies, like your DC, Marvel, whatever's. So those guys are making like $10 million movies where it's like a 90s action movie, but it's made now. And so like I just watched one that was basically a remake of Sudden Death, the one with the, Jean-Claude Van Damme at the hockey, the hockey rink. rink. That's the only Jean-Claude Van Damme movie I know. Well, this was Batista at a soccer match. And in America, a bomb in the stadium. No, he went to visit his niece in London. It was the, the 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 way we got to the soccer match was like kind of ridiculous and convoluted. But like once there, it was like we got Batista. We got this really funny sidekick character. Uh, I, I don't remember his name, but he was like running around with him and helping. And he was like a stadium security guy. And it was like, this is exactly the type of movie I felt like didn't exist anymore. And I kind of missed because, you know, there's only so many times you can watch Air Force One. Yeah, exactly. So there's this whole world out there. Like another one that I saw recently was called Braven with Jason Momoa. And it's like some guys stash some drugs at his family's cabin. And then he comes to the cabin and he's like, oh, there's all this cocaine here. And then they come. They're like, hey, we'd like our cocaine back. And he's like, huh, well, if I give it to you, you're probably going to kill me. So I guess I have to just kill all of you. And he's like improvising weapons in the cabin. And Stephen Lang is playing his dad and <laughs> sniping people out the roof. Like, it's like so stupid. Like, don't get me wrong. So stupid. But it's also like. The perfect wallpaper movie. Yeah. No, I'm, in, I'm into Jason Momoa in a cabin fighting off cocaine dealers. But the reason why I brought this up is because John Cusack is trying to do these. And I'm like, this is not your lane. You are, you are not, not to this guy. Oh, crap. Oh, my God. I'm blanking. Taken. Liam Neeson. You are not Liam Neeson, buddy. Right. Right. I'm like, hey, John Cusack, your lane is not... Uh, late career Liam Neeson like you got to find a different window or something but this is not it no one buys you as a murder killer guy yeah absolutely not you can you can be uh 1408 I like like you can be mousy detective journalist guy dad at the end of his rope sort of thing but like if you're gonna do cheap crap movies they need to be like you're the dad on vacation with his kids and it's an awful comedy everyone hates (laughs) i'm not saying you're allowed to do good movies because you're not that talented of an actor anymore but you cannot be an action star i'm sorry yeah 100 percent not an action star now joan cusack as an action heroine (laughs) you're about to be taken i need you to yell out the descriptions of the people who are about to touch you i'm so here for it give it to me all day long yeah i i I, like now i just am mad that movie hasn't been made yet or any like badass lady well they've done a few of those they got you got your atomic blonde you got your whatever that one with jennifer what's her face oh the the black widow movie sparrow sparrow yeah yeah yeah, yeah. black sparrow. widow but not black widow yeah red or red sparrow yeah. i was like there's a color in yeah, there it was I literally remember. i think yeah. it was called red sparrow and i was like this is just black you just you just you freaking different color different animal but this is a black widow movie anyway that's a lot of talk about what isn't working girl and i kind of like this movie so i feel like we're i do too but to joan cusack so, is the is the is the we got it off on a, <laughs> i think so I think I think so. I think you're more likely to be holding a winner in your hands if it says Joan Cusack on the label than John. I agree. Which isn't to say that like Cusack doesn't have his moments. It's like to use a sports analogy, Cusack was like the better home run hitter and she was like the more consistently on base hitter, which is like both of those things have value. It just depends on what kind of team you're building. She yeah. was like more consistently 
putting in a solid performance and he was you know swinging for the fences i always i, I go to backyard baseball i always got the pick the kid with the backwards <laughs> baseball hat who was short yes Pablo. thank you i could not think of his name <laughs> it's uh yep he was the uh the, the short compact power hitter file that under things you'll never need to use Oh, yeah, that's just good information in my brain. Like, the time that I just remembered Doug Funny's middle name is Yancey. Douglas Yancey Funny. Yeah, of course, that's information I know. Why? Who knows? Just because that's the stupid way this brain is wired. Anyway, we're flying in. It's working, girl. We've been on this for 12 minutes. We have not talked about the movie once yet. I'm so sorry. Uh, We open with Carly Simon's Let the River Run, the first of 100 times you'll hear this tune. I do not like this song. I do enjoy it, but also we sang it in choir every spring. Yeah. So like I, I say every, I was only in choir for the first two years of high school, and then I was like, I hate this deuces. Um, but every spring they sang "Let the River Run," and I remember my, I want to say mom got very emotional about it. Here's my beef with "Let the River Run." It is a very sad song. And it is performed like a jubilant anthem, and I, I like it doesn't work. Like I, it's performed with like a gospel choir, right? But it's done in a, like you hear that gospel choir and the the sort of like joy in the voices of those singers, and like it's a sad song. That's like it's like you know lyrically kinda, sad, but yeah, 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 brightly weird, yeah. Which I don't like it. It's played in this movie like it's this triumphant anthem, and it's really just like well. A lot of shit's gonna happen to you. You kind of just gotta, you know, go with the flow. And like, that's a good message for a song, but it needs to be played with like a sad folks guitar Soulful. underneath it. Yeah, yeah, and not this like beautiful gospel choir. Like, the, it plays over the end of this movie like it's this triumphant anthem, and I'm like, this is not, this does not feel triumphant at all. Yeah, I agree with that. But I also just remember that in high school we always were like, hey. We found this arrangement of this musical theater song. Can we sing this for a concert? And he was uh, our choir director was always like, "No, you guys, you sing Let the River Run every year. That's from a movie." And we were like, "That's not the same thing. <laughs> we want to sing like Trash in the Camp from Tarzan. That's from a movie. <laughs> like, you don't just get to just like that's not how that works. It's like also we're fourteen and it's two thousand and eight or whatever. Yeah." It's like, uh, excuse me. Sorry, that's not how old you were then. 2006. We're 14. It's 2006. Close. No one knows what Working Girl is. I honestly, but I I don't even remember anyone like pitching it. It's like, it's the song from Working Girl. It was just like, it's a song from a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it is a song in a movie. Moving on. Uh, so we have this, actually, this the opening shot of this movie, I think, is my favorite like artistic sniffy movie. It's this like big f- sweeping shot that comes up alongside the Staten Island ferry. And I was like, Oh, are we going to keep pushing all the way in? And then they kind of go through a window and into the ferry. And it's just like a really awesome, beautiful thing that at the time that they made this movie was probably a huge pain in the ass that involved like oh, yes. a helicopter or a hang glider or something insane. Yeah. A hundred percent. It wasn't like a, a doofus with a drone on a little speedboat underneath. Like yeah, that, it was hard to do. It's crazy that like today, any jack wagon with a YouTube account and yeah. a drone has done that shot. Like that's crazy yeah, to yeah. me. Well, even like I've, I've watched like sketch com- sketches, comedy sketches or short films produced in Baltimore entirely that have like a beautiful sweeping overhead drone shot of the city of Baltimore that like flies in onto a character that then is like a very goofy sketch. That's just like 
uh, very very silly nonsense but like to kind of set Drone the scene they started, usa apparently yeah yeah no it's 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 amazing how affordable that is now which is great for filmmaking in general but when it's done in the 80s you kind of have to be like hey good job because that was a huge pain in the ass oh yeah so many permits so many all permits. of the permits so uh every woman in, in this opening sequence has elaine bennis like no billboard hair don't you dare because their hair is way worse than Elaine's. But it's this, like, from the top of their forehead to the top of their hair is six inches at minimum. Like, it's yes. a billboard. They could they could, they could, could have sold this space to advertisers. They could have clipped in, like, smoke cool cigarettes and just walked around with it up there. It's crazy town. The difference is, like, Elaine Bennis is, like, a full head. Like, it's a very full bang. It, it, it looks yeah. like it's sort of like a bump. Like a bump it, almost, but, like, condensed. All of these women just have like thin, wispy bangs that they've teased <laughs> to the heavens. Yes. With, yes. So it looks like a piece of cotton candy that got like shredded a little, like pulled <laughs> apart a little bit and just yes, stuck on. Yes, yes. The wisps at the like as they're swirling. Yeah, at the, the end of the cotton candy like flourish. Uh-huh. That's what their yeah. bangs are. So everyone has billboard hair, which is what I've decided I'm calling it from now on because it's like a little billboard mounted on top of your head. It might be the most 80s hair we've had since Girls Just Want to Have Fun, which is like our the second episode. Too, yeah, the clothes, too, are really super crazy. And I like throughout the movie, they're just uh, more and more clothing. I'm just like, holy crap, more of this? I don't know. Heather's had pretty 80s clothing. Yeah, it did, but this is, like, the business attire, I think, which is why it feels sillier to me. Like, there's a little bit of leeway in a high school movie where you're like, eh, kids always dress like idiots. Like, that's sort of true across time and space immemorial, that, like, kids always kind of dress like idiots. And then you're looking at these these business suits and pantsuits, and you're just like, there's... That jacket is 16 inches wider than your frame. You look like David Byrne. Like, who's like, burning down the house? In the 1700s, women had the, like, panniers, the side bustles... <laughs> So they had yeah, to yeah. turn sideways to go through doors. And then in the 80s, yes. we're like, let's just do it again, but up top. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you're wider than a door frame. How is that comfortable? Um, Oliver Platt in the house. I thought he was going to be like a big part of this movie. I kind of like there Oliver so Platt. There are basically cameos in this movie. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a guy we might see around the end of February. Who knows? I don't know. I don't want to predict anything. I don't know yet. But maybe we'll see him at the end of February. There's only so many fours. Oh, uh, wait. Well, yeah, but this is a special I February forgot. that's I coming forgot. up because it's 2020. So maybe we'll see Oliver Platt. Who knows? I don't know. It's hard to tell what happens. So Anything can happen on Leap Day. Exactly. Leap Day Williams. Uh, so he is here and is like a huge a-hole. Uh, we've got this bustling like Bullpen. trading of. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, they're trading stocks and whatnot. Everybody I is like. I still don't super fully understand <laughs> stocks. And that is okay with me. Like, here's the thing, though. I, I, I remember, and I, this could be wrong, right? Like, you, like memory is faulty, and it's fine. Like, I, I can remember this wrong. But I remember there being a changeover from fractions to decimals in stock prices while I was alive. Like, because you would do, like, like stock one projects in point five. Well, so, like, a stock price now, when you look it up, is the exact dollar amount per share. And it used to be, like, a number with a fraction that might be, like, 19 and 7 eighths, which you would have to, like, Why would you do that? That seems so stupid. I don't know. I don't know. But I am sure this was a thing. At least how they printed it. Maybe it was just how they printed it in the paper. But I just remember doing stock projects. (laughs) Money is in... Is it 100 cents? I know. I know. I know. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. 
But I swear to you, I have distinct memory of doing like stock projects in school where it was like you had fake money and you invested it and you like would track the stock's price in the paper every day, which like I know sounds like a very old fashioned sentence, but this is the world that I lived in for a long time. And I remember it being fractions and I remember it being like probably a backdoor way to teach us fractions. I I thought you were going to say like, oh, they gave you a, a stock, like a stock prices for a day and you had to turn all the fractions into decimals. No, it was like they would print, they were printed in the paper as like 19 and 7 eighths or whatever. Huh. Orange juice shares. Right. So, and and the other thing is in the movies, it's like about half the time they're just buying stocks and bonds. And then the other times they are trading like commodities and stuff, which is just much harder for the average person to understand, I think. Okay. It happened in 1997. I looked it up. We had to take a break for some for some technical stuff. The Common Sense Stock Pricing Act was signed into law in 1997, converting fractions to decimals. But before that, it was like – you could go into 64ths. Yes. So I didn't make that up. Why, money people? Why? But I, they, this article actually explains it as part of the reason why pieces of eight is this expression. But it was like kind of technical and complicated. So I this is not the podcast. Pieces of eight is like pirate talk. Yes, no, it is. This this dates back to like way, way, way back when, and that's how trading was done in Europe. Huh, weird. So anyway, we're trading stocks or bonds or something. We are literally 20 minutes into this podcast, and we are 19 seconds into this movie. Uh, the office is, is trading, bustling. We've also established that Melanie Griffith is like a really hard worker. She's, you know, going to night school, yep. trying to better herself. And her friend, it's very much the like, you work too much. Yes. Uh, and she's got this like cadre of secretary friends that are all like really supportive of one another and helpful. And everyone else in the office is like a huge monster douche bro. So we're setting up Melanie Griffith on clearly it's a date, but the dude is pretending like it's someone who needs an assistant. And she's like very wary of this, which obviously means it's happened to her character before. Yeah. And I will say, uh, quick aside, related to the movie though um i don't think melanie griffith is a very good actor i don't either but she's very good in this movie and it's like kind of like um my personal theory i like to call the kate hudson corollary which is like under the right circumstances any actor can have an incredible performance oh almost famous yes because like i think kate hudson and almost famous is spectacular and I think Kate Hudson is a thoroughly average actress. Sorry, Goldie and Kurt. We let you know we love you. This is not a slight to you. She's perfectly I fine. I called Goldie Hawn's enter a cameo at the end of that <laughs> stupid Santa movie. Yeah, you did. You did. Um, also, you just spoiled that for anyone who didn't watch it, but that's okay. <laughs> it's not a uh, plot point. I mean, it's the best part of that movie. The ending. That's reassuring. I mean, it's not a very good movie. It's, it's not. stupid. It's not. Um... Just like most of what Netflix makes. They're sh- I feel like their TV shows are better than their movies. Mm-hmm. How many of them have you watched? Um, Netflix originals? like a hand- I mean, Stranger Things, Sabrina, um, Bonding I really liked. That's three of the like 65,000. They make some pretty trashy trash. No, I'm saying I think they're, they're be- they have better luck with their TV, with their like episodic than their movies. Maybe. Anyway, Mally Griffith, really good in this movie. Outside of this movie, not great. This is. I tried to now. look up, like, what I, I was like, what What would I know her from? Answer is nothing. 
Yeah, I mean, I've seen at least one other thing that she's in, kind of like in a throwaway. But, like, I just, you know, most of what she was in were things where they were like, hey, you have a great body. Let's see it naked. Like, that's the majority of what she was in. I'm, like, this. honestly a little surprised this isn't Meg Ryan. Yeah, no, this, it might be a little early for Meg Ryan, maybe. Or maybe she was busy doing Sleepless in Seattle. Or the or Harry whatever. Met Sally. She yeah, that's that. what I meant. Yes. Yeah, that's the one I meant. Not Sleepless in Seattle in the 90s. Um, you anyway. Thinking, oh, no. No, Sleepless in Seattle's I think late '80s, and you've got Mail as the '90s, isn't it? Oh, I thought you've got Mail was like 2001 ish. Anyway, matter. that's not that's not about this movie. We gotta knock that off. Um, so uh, she gets set. She's getting set up on this date. Uh, we cut to uh, she's going home for a surprise birthday party that she knows about because yeah. she's smart and figured it out. And. Uh, Surprise party. Cut to Alec Baldwin, like, waiting in bed for her. And he This is, is one of two really... I mean, so I watched this, uh, like, on Cinemax. So maybe it was an, a TV edit. But there are two okay. really weird edits. One of them is right after this scene. And the other one is right before the wedding. Or the, okay. the wedding they crash. Yeah. Where it's just, like, someone says something that isn't a button on a scene. And then it just, like, quick fade to black. No, that's that happens in the DVD version as well. Okay. Which I got from my local library. I didn't know this was on Showtime or I would have used the mom and dad's account to watch it. Um, mom, no, mom recorded it. Oh, for you. Yeah, I, I guess. Because I like type uh, working girl and it was like, this is recorded. And I was like, <laughs> okay, mom. <laughs> Thanks. She was very, very adamant that we do this movie. Um, anyway, very sexy looking Alec Baldwin. So oh, you my know God. He's yeah, going to be primo Baldwin. But you're immediately sure he's going to be a huge piece of shit. <laughs> It's like you are way too attractive uh, and way too shirtless for you to be a good guy in this movie. Good guys would be in a sweatshirt. <laughs> this yeah. guy is sleeping around. I guarantee. In it. the eighties, in the year twenty, you know, fifteen, nineteen, he plays a nerd with that body. Yeah, no, absolutely, he does. Uh, and we'll talk about Harrison Ford momentarily, or maybe not momentarily, but a little later as well on that same thing. I was like, he's in very good shape, but he is not in. 2020s era uh whatever we're in now 20 teens era uh hunky dudes yeah i also hot take thought alec baldwin's character could have been cut out of this movie and you would have lost nothing yeah i agree it's just Except like one precious precious obstacle. time <laughs> yeah it's just one extra obstacle in the movie i don't think it adds that much and it really honestly only serves to introduce the conflict between her and joan cusack which i didn't care for but yeah we'll get there too so he's on a very small bed. Like, it looks like her, their bed, her bed. I'm not sure. I think later it's, they say our apartment. Yeah. But it looks like they're sharing a twin bed. <laughs> it's like, hey, I know New York's expensive, but my God, at least a full? A full. You <laughs> can afford on. a full. Get rid of the bed frame. Didn't Don't buy a bed frame. Just buy two mattresses at that point. Right. Like, something better than this. But he's he's doing that, and he's, like, watching her put on the lingerie he bought her for her birthday. And it's like, hey, girl. If your birthday gift is lingerie that you didn't ask for, you should probably DTMFA. What? Dump the motherfucking oh, asshole. D. I thought you said G. I was like, get the no, motherfucking No, DTMFA. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And then he's like, she's because she even says like, I would like once yes. a present that I can wear outside of this apartment. Smash yeah. cut to the next day. Right. It's it's very odd. And then she's 
in a limo uh, with America's garbage bag. <laughs> I was like, oh, what a shot. Kevin Spacey's playing a huge piece of shit in a movie. Oh, my God. How out of character. Right? Yeah. Doing coke out in the open. In front yeah. of God on a Tuesday. <laughs> yes. It's a, it's a Tuesday afternoon. He's snorting coke. He's got a bottle of champagne between his knees. And he's like, oh, uh, when we get to the hotel, we'll talk about that thing. And she's like, we're going to a hotel. Like the bar, and he's like, "No, no, I have a room. They let us use it when they're not entertaining clients." And I was like, "This is why Wall Street is the worst. They had just a standing room at a fancy hotel that they had every day. Yep. What? Burn it to the ground. Burn it, salt it, start again. Like, come on, that is too much money. You should not have a standing hotel room to use for nonsense for your executives. That's the Ritz Carlton." Um, so he is like, oh, okay, fine. You want business training? Let me put on this business training tape. And she's like, good. I would like to learn something in this limousine instead of being fondled and, uh, groped, I should say. Uh, that's sort of a shade of gray. Yeah. Well, no, I was, I, 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 for some reason in my head for a second, I was like, that implied that it was consensual. It was non-consensual touching. I don't, yeah, I don't think fondling and groping. As soon as I said it, I was like, both of those are synonyms. They're both bad. You were fine in the first place. <laughs> Look, it's been a long day. Um, uh, so she's like, all right, yeah, great. Let's watch this thing. And he puts it on the tape and it's just porn. It's a dude. Straight up porn. <laughs> it's a dude and a woman in a pool naked fooling around. And you're just like, all right. Honestly, though, kind of impressive that that like it was ha- the what was happening was happening. <laughs> the maneuver in the pornographic film is kind of impressive. Like, how is no, also, how is he not drowning? Like what's happening? Yeah, yes, but also gross. wildly awful. You gross Kevin Spacey, crap. you are garbage. Like the garbage of garbage. My only issue with this scene is. Or the character's actions in the scene is she's holding this bottle of like Vuv Coclo, however you say it. There you go. Or like Dom Perignon, whatever it is. It's a very expensive bottle of champagne. She like yells at the driver to pull over, which he does, thankfully, like one decent human being in this Thank movie. Thank God. And he, she sprays him with the champagne. And I was like, girl, the move is you take that bottle of champagne and one of the champagne glasses and are like, I'll see you later. I'm going to drink this while I hitchhike home or whatever. Like, don't waste this on his face. He's Absolutely an asshole. Not. But you deserve that bottle of champagne. Take it. <laughs> and you know there's, like, another one in there. Take that one. Absolutely, Take the unopened yeah. one. Exactly. Uh, it's a waste of good champagne is all I'm saying. And she deserved to drink it after this horrible experience. Yes. Um. So, at, is, yeah, we cut back to the next day at the office. And she, like, is typing on the ticker. And is like, Oliver Platt has a small dick and is an asshole. And puts it up on the thing. Which I thought was really fantastic. That's a great move. I also, like, didn't know it was going to become, like, she job hops, so I thought this was yes. going to be, like, a pl- kind of a playful, like, thing, because I feel like in a movie today, this is, like, a playful movie. This is, like, oh, you bitch, and then, like, backspace, 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 let's get back to work. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, this is, like, uh, hey, this is the third time I've had to move you for disciplinary reasons. Olympia it's Dukakis. Like- oh, it is. You're right. You're right. I saw her and got very happy, because I love Steel Magnolias. 
Well, she is only in this movie for uh, 37 seconds. She's one of several cameos. Yeah, Kevin Spacey's role is over. Like, he's that's it. He was in the limo. He tried to get, get a feeler up. She's rejected him. They watched a porn tape for nine seconds. She sprayed him with champagne, and then he took that limo out of the movie. The best is on Wikipedia. It says the cast list at the and on the page, and among them is listed, the cast has listed Kevin Spacey as a, a coke-addled arbiter or whatever his name is, whatever his yeah, job is. Yeah, yeah. And then underneath all of the listings, it says, also notable cameos include Olympia Dukakis. And I was like, they were on screen the same amount of time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Olympia she Dukakis has, also deserves a thing. She probably has more lines than Spacey does. Oh, for sure. Uh, so at this point, she's like packing up and talking to her friends. And this is the the part where I was like, oh, my God, the fashion choices in this are so buck wild. Because this is when Sigourney comes in and she's got on this like houndstooth wide shoulder pad I loved thing. it <laughs> and the other women in the office have like bright colored pantsuits on and the hair is huge and uh, and skirt Mel- suits yeah yeah and Melanie Griffith has on all this gold jewelry that's jingling and jangling all over the place um but it's just so many patterns that's the thing that is the buck wild a lot of patterns like, so many patterns there's a hound's tooth and a checkerboard and, a, and whatever and it's just like oh my gosh so many patterns here um I adore Sigourney Weaver I think she's amazing and wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I wish she wasn't so immediately obviously evil in this movie. They kind of try to save it later, and I was like, whoa, this is like a crazy turn for the way they had written this character, and then it turned out to be kind of nothing. Oh, are you talking about when she gets back from the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, we'll get to that in a second. I'm not trying to, like, shut you up, obviously, but, like... I was kind of the feeling the same way. I was like, oh, man, she's so overtly a, a jerk. But then I was thinking about it, and I'm guessing that in that era, to be the lone woman on equal footing with a man in one of these positions, like, you kind of had to act like one of them, and they were all assholes. I agree. Um, but I just meant for, for storytelling purposes. Yeah, it would be much more interesting if she was nicer, and then the sort of twist was that she was secretly a dick the whole time. Yeah, because I feel like... The the twist that like you know because she tells Melanie Griffith like hey we're I want to be partners we're equals like any idea you have tell me like right. it's a two way street but there's con- like constantly a feel a tone and a feeling and a, a cadence to her voice that says like I'm evil and gonna right. screw you over and I don't think it's a bad performance from Sigourney I just think it's like for this movie too big. Right, like she's almost playing like her evil character from Cabin in the Woods. I was gonna say she's a little Cabin in the Woodsy, and a, or a little um, that Netflix Marvel show where all of them got the Avengers show on Netflix where all everyone got together. I did not watch that, but I didn't know Defenders Story was in it. Defenders, she yeah. was in that. Yeah, she was the big bad yeah. in Defenders. How about that? And everyone's everyone was it's like, a good thing Netflix advertised that part of it. Well, she was kind of like a a, a reveal. But um, okay. I remember everyone was like, this show is, uh, they're like, the show isn't great. And you don't like Sigourney Weaver's character. You just like Sigourney Weaver. And I was, I thought about it and I was like, that's true. Her yeah, ca- I couldn't yeah. tell you one thing because everyone was like, tell me one thing about her character. And it was like, she's played by Sigourney Weaver. And they're like, okay. <laughs> she also, uh, in just a real cool actual life move, went to that high school in New Jersey that performed Alien. Uh, they did like a remount of their play on alien day at the end of april and she went and like introduced the play met all the kids and like it's just a genuinely pretty good person and also like 
uh, kudos to, I guess Fox was still independent when it first happened and or Disney and or whomever for well, not suing these children. Because, Ridley like, Scott and Sigourney Weaver came to their defense. Yes. No, I agree. But also like it very easily could have been like, Hey, you can't do that. We're suing you. Like it, w- it would be the very logical move. And it's just like very cool for everyone to be like, Hey, you are not taking any money of our, out of our pockets by building an alien suit out of trash and doing a cool thing at your school. Yeah, we just talked about that today at the theater and like parody law and you need at least 10%, I think 10% change in order to count as parody law. Right. This is not a parody. This is like a just straight up alien. Straight up. And that's why Sigourney Weaver and Ridley Scott were like, no, 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 no. You will not touch these children. Get away from her, you bitch. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Anyway, so she's uh, the big boss and she's throwing a big party and be like, hey, I've arrived. Uh, And she's got. uh, Yeah, That's the other weird thing about her character. It it was like, she's she's. She acts like she's established as this like heavy hitter in the world of in- investment banking, I guess. Is what Arbitrage is. is the field that they do. I do not know what that is. I don't either. Um, but also she's like, and I just moved. It, I just blew into town. I'm living with my parent at my parents' house, and da 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 da. da. Um, but again, I was like, but are you an established heavy hitter? I'm confused. Right. I think she was probably poached from another firm. Is is the the feeling that I got? Oh, uh, okay. Uh, but she's throwing this big party, and there's a woman in there who's like, oh, like here's our catering company. Here's where you can buy the booze from. And Melanie Griffith's like, actually, I was just reading about dim sum being kind of like a hot thing, and I feel like we could do it if we booked it from this place. We should do some dim sum. And Sigourney Weaver's like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And the other woman is like fuming that they're not going to have their whatever terrible catering that they normally have. Shrimp uh, puffs. Yeah. Cut to one of my favorite scenes of the movie. Uh, Melody Griffith pushing around. It reminded me of Roar, of like Melody Griffith is, and Melody Griffith probably would like rather have shot this scene five thousand takes than do one more take of Roar. But she's pushing around the steam tray of dumplings that for some reason is like blowing steam at her. It's very. It's her, almost her poor face is all sweaty. Yeah, it's almost honestly, it's almost like a scene out of Better Off Dead. Yeah, it it had that yeah that otherworldly dreamy Heather's feel. Yeah, that's just like, this is not how this works. Like, yeah, you'd be probably sweaty from having to push it around, but she's like getting like a steam facial every 30 seconds as she hands out these uh, dim sum dumplings. And like, see, this is another thing where like, if Sigourney Weaver's character hadn't been, you know, so obviously evil, these little moments where, you know, uh, Melanie Griffith is like, can I stop serving these dim sum? And she's like, oh, you know what? I think you should make a couple more rounds and then stop. I wish I could help you, but I can't. Bye. Yeah. Especially because that scene comes right after this slime ball is like trying to get in Sigourney's pants and Melanie Griffith kind of uses the dumpling cart to get him out of there. And uh, it's a it's a character actor who you would recognize and is probably on one of those cop shows or something, but I can't remember his name. And he's literally yes. only in this one scene again with the like parade of character actors that you are or not even character actors, just actors in general that you're familiar with. But I was like, oh, that's that guy. And then he's I was like, I'll look him up when he comes back on screen so I can get his character name. Oh, he's never in the movie again. He's gone. So uh, Melanie Griffith pre- presents her idea of, of like, hey, it's actually a, a very like. From a writing a movie standpoint, it's a very clever plan that, the, that does two things. One, lets the audience know that this person is clever. And two, is immediately obvious to the audience that it makes sense. Like, what she says makes total perfect sense and is easily digested by the audience. Yeah. So it's just 
like really excellent writing where it's like, hey, this group of people is one constantly fending off takeover from an international company and two has been looking to get into broadcasting. Well, they haven't been able to buy, find a TV station. Why don't we suggest they buy some radio stations because the FCC prevents foreign ownership. So if they own radio stations, they'll one, be in the broadcasting business like they want and two, fend off overseas ownership, which is just like really good screenwriting. Simple and clean. Yes. Like I understood it. I don't know Jack about business, but I understood her plan. It makes sense and is logical. And you see if like, it's a little bit outside the box thinking. So it shows you that she's clever and it just like, it, it's just really good, solid writing, which we don't see that much. in the Yeah. This movie was a breath of fresh do. air. <laughs> yeah. It's like a really well-written script. I didn't like love, love, love this movie, but I think it's excellent. It's like, solid. I, it, like, it's it's the difference between like what you think is the best and what is your personal favorite. I think it just is is going to be the ultimate deciding factor for me on this one. That's fair. but this writing is excellent. Like there's so many scenes in this movie where like just a couple lines of dialogue or a short interaction between two characters reveals so much of the bigger picture, and it's just like really good, like excellent, excellent screenwriting. Melanie Griffith is presenting this to Sigourney Weaver as she's like helping her try on her ski boots, these like big clunky plastic jobbers. And like, it's a very, again, a a scene that has subtle, like you're subservient to me. Don't forget this. Click my boots together. Yes. And then even beyond that, she's like, Oh, did you call and get my room? And she's like, I called, but they don't have anything available. And she's like, did you tell them it was for me? Give me the phone. And then Sigourney hops on the phone and starts speaking in this other language German. Like, completely fluently. Is it German? Okay. It seemed like German, but I was like, maybe it's Dutch because skiing is probably not in Germany. I didn't know. I it seemed it sounded uh, like German to me. Yeah, I, I didn't recognize it. I, I thought it was assuming I don't know what they speak in Switzerland, but, you know, I was thinking Alps skiing somewhere over there is probably in any case. She's like totally fluent in this language. And Melanie Griffith, uh, in one of the many instances of this movie where she's like got a lot going on as an actress, has like, oh, I just screwed up so bad. Like, you can totally read it in her face as Sigourney Weaver like does this rapid fire to be like, oh, I want a suite in the chateau or whatever the hell. Uh, it's just really lovely. But to your point of like, the, the framing of the scene is such like a dominant subservient, like Melanie Griffiths on the floor, you know, it just shot really, from really above. Well. Um, and yeah. Sigourney Weaver is constantly shot from below. So she's big and imposing. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It almost reminded me like had notes of like the devil wears Prada. Yeah. You know, that was what I was thinking the whole time I was watching this movie is the devil wears Prada is almost a remake of this. It's very similar. It's sort of, and like this movie had felt very nine to five, except with a female villain. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So Sigourney, we- Sigourney Weaver says, there's a man, you know, I've been seeing for a while. I think he's going to pop the question. We're going to go skiing. Smash cut to Sigourney Weaver skiing on a mountain. 80s ski clothes are such an aesthetic. <laughs> they are such well, a Well, isn't that when, like, apres ski was a thing? Was the 80s? I don't know what apres ski is. So apres ski in French literally means after skiing. And it was this whole aesthetic of, like, what you would wear in the ski lodge. So it's, like, Fair Isle sweaters with, like, big, chunky knits and prints. Um, Yeah, I guess that's it. But I'm speaking specifically of, like, ski sportswear that we, like, saw in Better Off. Was it Better Off Dead that has a ski competition or the other one? One of the John Cusacks. Yeah, Better Off Dead. I think it was Better Off Dead that has a ski competition. But there's, like, a bunch of other 80s ski-centric movies. It was, like, the hot thing back then. But the outfits are always these, like... Sort of track suity, sort of neo, not neoprene, I guess, but more like windbreakery material. Yeah. Always really bright colors. Polyester. And always like, 
Yeah, but always like head to toe matching, so you look like a stick of deodorant. Like it's all just one a color. Really, yeah, it's a really odd look. But she goes flying off a mountain like instantaneously. You know, screams as she falls, and we smash cut to her like in traction with her leg broken. And she gives Melanie Griffith. She's like, "Hey, look, I'm gonna be out of the office." And again, so I will admit that a lot, a lot of this movie, I kept thinking about Bob's Burgers. Yeah. And, like, there's the scene in Bob's Burgers where they... So, like, Bob's Burgers sort of goes a few beats through this movie, so you, I, I had a vague feeling of what was going to happen. And this is yeah, where you Tina, also hadn't seen this before, right? Correct. Okay. Um, and this is where Tina is in bed, and she's like, hey, I'm on a ski trip, we need you in the office for me. Also, I stole your idea for the radio acquisition project. So this is where she's like, Melinda Griffith, I need you to, like, take over... It's weird, because it impl- it sounded like she was like, hey, I need you to take care of a few sides of business for me. But then it didn't seem yeah, like yeah. that's what she actually wanted. Yeah, no, she mostly has her, like, reject a bunch of RSVPs and stuff. Yeah, it's weird. So she's like, uh, Melanie Griffith, that is, is in Sigourney's house and, like, doing this job for her. And she sees Sigourney has, like, totally ganked her idea, presented it as her own, and has it on this presentation that or email. I guess it's an email. I don't... Really can't tell what the thing yeah, is. Yeah, it's hard to, here. I don't know, electronic I guess it's mail. just note-taking. I guess it's just, like, notes, or, like, her files, her digital files, but she has, like, hey, I'm going to steal this radio plan, basically written in green and black. Yeah, and also on her tape recorder that she has. Yes, yes. Uh, so Melanie Griffith gets all steamed over this, as she has every right to, and she leaves to go home, and she, there's, like, the telltale sounds of rhythmic bumping coming from her... Uh, bedroom and she's like well that's odd and she opens the door and alec baldwin is literally having sex with someone else in their stone town bed yeah is that, he is, is that what the phrase we, he, you always used uh you think i think he is going to bone town literally um and he starts being like i can explain this isn't what it looks like and it's like um are you sure you are literally inside another person right now perhaps this is not the moment to do hey this isn't what it looks like because then he goes okay so it is what it looks like but i can explain okay so i can't explain yeah and melanie griffith leaves and he runs after her and he's and like, then starts cussing her out yeah he's like come back and hit me and i was like this is weird yeah you're weird buddy yeah so she like recruits Joan Cusack and is like, all right, I'm going to wear clothes. I'm going to go to this party. I'm going to pitch this radio idea. And Joan Cusack is like, well, uh, I think this is a bad idea. Never mind. These clothes are amazing. Let's steal them. Also, here's a Valium that I found in the medicine cabinet. You should take it. Who knows what the dosage is? Bye. <laughs> yeah. Cause Melanie Griffith had set up a meeting with someone and then also for the next day and then knew they were going to be at a party that night. So she was like, I'll get in early and like, you know, work a little magic so that the meeting can go smoothly. Yeah. And at the party, she meets um, Harrison Ford. Is that right? Yep. Oh, thank God. Um, I was like, is that who that is? Uh, she meets Harrison yes. Ford. And he, it's so weird. He's playing it like he's the villain of the movie. Like he's yes, kind of creepy, so kind of sleazy. And I'm like, but you're supposed to be the one we like. Right. Confusing. Uh so he starts like schmoozing with her and she's like, hi, my name is name is. And he's like, no, no, no names, no business cards. Just like, let's have a real drink and just have this experience. And she's like, yeah, OK. And he's like, uh, two double Jose Cuervo shots, please. Oh, good. Just 
vomiting everywhere. Yeah, it's my every, favorite. Every douche nozzle who's tried to hit on me being like, it's just let's just have a human experience. Vomit in your face. Don't talk to me ever again. <laughs> nope. Hips are nonsense. Thing. Here's the thing. In the environment that he probably exists day to day, I could totally see him being like, I'm Jack or whatever, and being like, let's just go first names and not talk about business. That's like a perfectly fine thing to say, as opposed to the attack that he takes, which is like super sleazy slimeball feeling. And then he orders eight shots of tequila for them to take immediately. Yeah, I was they not do, a fan. They do a double each and then another double each. Um, And it ends up she, you know, between Valium and four shots of tequila. Yeah, <laughs> like... AKA most people's white party. Yeah. He's like, she's like, I need to leave and sees someone from the office at coat check. So she's like, "Uh, can you get my coat? I'm going to be outside. And he goes outside and she's passed out in a taxi, like legs out. Yes. The taxi driver, by the way, is so very New York in that he's like, I, I don't care, which is shocking because I would have thought he would have just left her on the sidewalk. No, she was inside the cab. I know. I would have thought the driver would have been like, well, you just passed out in my cab. I'm going to dump your corpse on the street and drive away. That would have been better if he was, if <laughs> Arizona came out as he's like pulling her out of the cab. Like, nope. Hey, hey guy, I got, I got water and mints back there. If you want, oh, you're, you're unconscious now. Well, please don't throw up in my Uber. I'm going to, I'm just going to put you to the side here on this bag of trash and hope the rat king doesn't eat you. <laughs> So he takes her uh, to his house because he can't. Well, first he tries to get her address and she's like, the park. And he's like, no, that's not it. <laughs> she's like, there's, there's some trees and there's a park. I live there. So he takes her to his place. And like at first uh, he like props her up in a chair. And, I, yeah. and he's like, I guess a night. No, it, he's it's like. Be wonderfully awkward because this is clearly the first time he's ever had to deal with this. So he's like, yeah. do you want a nightcap? No, that's probably a bad idea. Uh, coffee, you're a little far gone for coffee. Uh, I don't know what to do. And then he offers her tea and then he's being like, I don't have tea. Here, he, I like this scene. I do. I really Except do. Except for the ending. My, yes, but here's here's the bigger beef that I have. I don't believe that Harrison Ford is this guy. You don't think he could be a nice guy? I don't. No, but it's not. It's like it's not played as he's a nice guy. It's he's normally not and doesn't know what to do. Oh, okay. I can see that. Like it's to me, this scene comes off as like, normally I would just take you to bed and have sex with your unconscious body, but you seem cool and I don't want to do that. And I like, maybe that's just the way I read it, but it was like, like someone who, no, that's not crazy. Because, like, someone who is not that guy has been in the situation with a platonic friend, like a man, or if if they're straight or whatever, like a a person they have no intention of sleeping with, just a friend who has had too much to drink and has, like, taken care of that drunk friend. Like, if you are, like, if you are the good, nice guy, you've done this before in a completely non-sexual environment. So when it happens with someone who you were sexually interested in, you know the playbook. You know that just, like, okay, here's the three moves I have to make now is, like, give you some comfortable clothes. If Or if I can't do that, then at least, like, take your shoes off and, like, do my best to, like, arrange you to be comfortable and put a blanket on you and like leave clothes there. So if you wake up, you can change out of this or whatever, but it's like, he's like desperately trying to be a good guy, even though he doesn't want to is the way that it come up, came off to me. You're not wrong. Like you said, 
like you said, I thought he was the, like another villain at this point. Like the the scene that led to this, and then this part, I was like, oh man, like who's the good guy in this movie? Like, is there another love interest that's gonna get introduced? It's Joan Cusack. Joan Cusack is the only good guy in this movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he is like to be to be fair, like nine tenths of what he does is good guy moves here. I don't agree with taking some stranger's dress that off. Upset that upset me. Like, that he was yeah. like, yeah, I got you. I took off your clothes. Like, I, if he, if. He, if she woke up, like, in a sweatshirt over her dress, I think that's yeah. more in line with, like, I'm not gross, and I wanted you to right. be comfortable. Right, right. Or, like, a really huge t-shirt or something, and then, like, the top like of her dress Like a Kathy cartoon button. and a coffee mug. He, right, but, like, like you do that, and then you, like, s- like, open the top button of the back of the dress to be, like, a little bit of comfort, and then it's like, that's as far as I'm going, your clothes are still on, I, I put the t-shirt on so you can slide the dress and off And then later. slept in the bed with her, like... Yes, that's the part that grossed me out! Like, yes. it'd be one thing if she woke up in her underwear in the bed, and he was, like, on the couch. Yes. Like, that's slightly more acceptable, but still weird. Yes, yes. he can, you cannot, you either put her on the couch... And you take the bed or you put her in the bed and you take the couch. But the move that you chose is gross. Like the move that you chose is she's going to wake up and think that she slept with you while she was blacked out. Yes. Which is what happens. Right. All the time. Like you did the move that a shitty person. You did You did a non-shitty thing and then put yourself in a position to look shitty. Yeah. I don't know what you're doing, bro. So she sneaks out very, very logically. And then uh, <laughs> the next day. She's like heading into work and she's so chill for someone who like probably thinks she got roofied, right? Well, no, because she knows she took a Valium. I guess. But her And like, like you have Joe to Cusack imagine that mixing like, Valium with four shots of tequila isn't great. Like that's, no, that's no, not a recipe no, for I've, staying awake. I, I've never taken a Valium, so I couldn't tell you specifically, but like I'm aware of it. But it just seemed like Joan Cusack was so nonchalant about the Valium that maybe she wouldn't put the two together. I don't know. Um so it's the big meeting the next day, and oh, wouldn't you know it, Harrison Ford's there, and uh, she presents her plan, and they all dismiss it like dicks, like ah, we're not we're not looking for a TV, we want to do, or we're not looking for radio, we're trying to do TV, get out of here, this is useless. Um, cut to Harrison Ford like coming to her office now that he knows who she is because she left her briefcase at his place, and Joan Cusack has to no, do, like, he a did, quick so she, he. She said when she came to the meeting, oh, I forgot my briefcase. That's why she's using right. like, a big accordion file. So he shows up with a new briefcase. Like, he bought her one. Oh, it's a new briefcase. Okay. I thought he left. I thought she left her briefcase at his No, because it was like a okay. cocktail party. She didn't have a briefcase. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, oh, you know what? She probably just didn't. I didn't. Didn't have one. Yeah, she just doesn't have one because she doesn't need one. Yeah, okay. Matt, that, I'm all on board now. Um, but this is like the best part of the movie, Joan Cusack-wise, your favorite. Um, that obviously your favorite part of the movie that she like quickly jumps in to help this ruse where Melanie Griffith is the boss and Joan Cusack is her secretary. And, uh, she does the, the classic, like, can I get anything? Coffee, tea, me and Melanie Griffith shoots her like devil eyes, which is like, I was like, wait, don't you think this guy's a huge piece of crap? Like, are you, I'm confused about how you feel right now. Yeah. I think it was more like, that's not professional. Yeah, yeah. Um, Joan Cusack is. I wrote. She's dressed like an eighties mess, and I'm obsessed. <laughs> yeah, she's got she like really... bright blue eye shadow with pink in the inner corner, and these like massive shoulder pads, and the stupid wispy cotton candy hair. Yeah, it's delightfully weird. Um, and Harrison Ford is like, nothing happened, and she's like, well, I was naked. He's like, well, I closed my eyes. Okay, I didn't close my eyes, but still, and it was like, 
Well, buddy, like <laughs> you had you had so many options to not come off gross here. You like you, you're easily... reading, you're reading like a real capital N, nice capital G Y T M. Yeah, yeah, I'm a nice guy. That's that is my problem. You put the the nail on the you hit the nail on the head there. Of like he this he's his character is written as a capital N capital G nice guy, and you're just I, like it gives me the shivers. Like uh, the guy who like thinks that I checked all these boxes, ergo I get this woman, and it's just like, no, that's not how this works. Tips his fedora and says, "Milady, like you're garbage." Right, right, and he's the only person on earth who can pull off wearing a fedora. Yeah. Oh, that is a fedora. I, I never think of Indiana yeah. Jones' hat as a fedora, but yeah. It is. He's like the only person on Earth who looks awesome in a fedora. I mean, I think the Rat Pack. So that's more of a trilby, isn't it? Didn't Sinatra and them have the smaller brim? So I thought fedoras had... I thought fedoras were more like Rat Pack and and um, and um like Freddy Krueger, and that Indiana Jones had a different feel, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I think said the one I who is the costume designer. A trilby has a narrow brim, and I thought that's what Sinatra and those guys wore. Oh, maybe the the hats that got like moderately popular four or five years ago that everyone called fedoras were trilbies. Were well, trilbies, yeah. I think of the fedora as like the wider like mob movie brim. Yeah, I guess this picture. I'm looking at a picture of Sinatra. He's wearing a fedora here. All right, Sinatra can also pull off the fedora. Uh, okay, past 1980. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> yeah, he's wearing fedoras in most of these photos, not trilbies. Anyway, uh, one of the few people who can pull off wearing a fedora. Let's call it that. Uh, but he's like, hey, look, I like your idea. Also, I want to date you. And she's like, okay, one thing at a time. If you you like can pick idea, one and I'm going to pick the idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they have this cute little tete-a-tete where he's like, and it's this part I didn't find creepy where he's like kind of being playful about like, okay, well, how about this? And she's like, no. And then he does accept no as an answer, which I liked. And then later mostly treats this relationship as business until like a turning point, but mostly over. is okay. What's that? But till it like bubbles over. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we cut to Joan Cusack's engagement party. And of course, Alec Baldwin is there because all their friends are mutual friends. Of course, of course. Yeah. So this, the, the right before the end of the previous scene was the, the annoying woman who wanted the not dim sum for the party was right. like, I need to use the Gordon Weaver's computer. And I thought she's it, been on the show before. I don't I didn't look her she? up, but I, I swear we've done movies that that woman has been in. She plays this like very same type of character in other things that I can't place. Like she's not the woman from nine to five, but she seems like her. That's what I was saying. She seems like her character was supposed to be a little like, I'm going to catch, you know, I have. Right. A thing, I, I think I, Tess McGill I, is being sneaky, but that never happened. I thought so, too. No, I also thought that it was. Uh, I wonder if that like got cut because this movie was already too long. It's two hours long. And I, like I said, I think you could cut Alec Baldwin and make it a, a nice hour 45. Yeah. And and honestly, the change from like, oh, you were in a bad relationship to, oh, you don't have any relationship because you concentrate on work too much is not that significant difference as a character motivator, I don't think. It's not. And also, stop like, so like, he cheated on her. She walked in on him in the act. Right. And right. no one seems to give a shit. Yeah, nobody cares whatsoever. And to the point where at one point during the party, they're like, when are you two going to get engaged? And Alec Baldwin proposes to her. And when she says she like doesn't say yes because she doesn't want to like, out everything. So she's like, eh, ask another time. 
he gets mad at her and she's like, hey, buddy, remember that time I walked in on you in someone? Because I do. Yeah, you gross asshole. And then he's like, you know what? You're ridiculous. We're through. And it was like, you've been through. She said there's, that. There's this uh, There's this moment, and again, like, talking about how uh, she's, like, her performance in this is fabulous. She does this, like, little half smile at that moment, which is, like, to me, her realizing, like, oh, well, I win. Like, like I doesn't, you, if you want to walk away feeling like you won, that's fine. But ultimately, you're out of my life, and that's what I wanted. So I win. Like, cool. Whatever you need to do to make yourself feel better is fine, but I won. Yeah. Um, also, that actress I looked her up while you were talking, uh, Nora Dunn, who was on Saturday Night Live for like five years, 85 to 1990. Oh. Uh, so that's definitely what I know her from. Uh, but she has not been on it. She's only in uh, – this is actually the first thing she was ever in. Okay. I probably know yeah. her from something. Probably oh. SNL reruns, I would guess. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. he he he. She also played like a lot of moms in the 90s and such. I can see that. Um, so anyway, Joan Cusack visits her at work the next day because I guess Joan Cusack can just visit whenever. I feel like they work in the same office on different floors. That was never explained. The movie didn't explain that. TM. Well, late, later there's a <laughs> later there's a part where Jean, Jean Joan Cusack like gets a phone call from Melanie Griffith and she like tells all the other secretaries like, "Oh my God, she's in an office. She did it." Oh and yeah. I thought that all those women seemed to know Melanie Griffith, so I don't know. I don't know. Also, wait, quick, quick side note before we go too far ahead. Two party notes. One, they're like Alec Baldwin is like really thrilled that he bought a boat. Like they're listing off good things that have happened. He's like, well, I finally got that boat. And she's like so excited about this boat, which I thought was very silly. And then just a really nice piece of uh, set decoration. The table full of presents. There are two Weber hibachi grills, which I thought was lovely. Like the like. There's always a duplicate gift at those kind of occasions, and okay. I just love that they they did that. Like I just, I thought that was actually like not a mistake. I thought that was definitely on purpose. It's like no, someone always does, buys the same thing as someone else at the party. You should put two of them on there. I thought that was really good. That's really clever. I never noticed that. Um, but yes, so uh, so she's this is where the uh, um, this is shirtless Harrison Ford, right? Yes, and this is one of the many moments where Melanie Griffith is pretending to be her own secretary by doing a, like a, a Long Island voice. Yes, but yeah, she sounds like uh, she sounds so much like Cindy Lauper from Vibes. Yeah, but she's not doing anything else. She's not like dropping her voice down or like pitching right, right. it up. It's just her voice with an accent, and I was like, how is no one noticing that? Like, it's <laughs> basically the equivalent of like, thank you for calling, you know, Trask Industries. Let me get you, Andrew. Hi, how are you doing? Like, that's yeah. clearly the same person. Yeah, I think you'd fool more people than you'd think. Hmm. So he's but changing he's, and... He, he's, like, wiping out his armpits with a paper towel. But this is right... Like, right after this, he goes and films Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which is, like, the final... What he thinks is the final indie movie. Uh, he will be wrong, but... Um, it's the last in the trilogy, right? The original ones, yes. Um, I'm just saying they made another one and they're about to do it again. But... Um, oh, they are? Yeah. Oh, Temple of Doom is coming in 2020 on this podcast when they put out that Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> but um, this is like the third leg of the second biggest trilogy at third, maybe third. I don't know, like box office wise, how Star Wars Back to the Future and Last Crusade. Ran- oh, Back to the Future wouldn't have had part three out until 1990. So Jaws. this is the uh, maybe. Yeah, I guess three Jaws. Star but Wars, like, Jaws the- and Indy. Yeah, I guess. 
I don't think Jaws necessarily. I don't know. I don't know what the box offices were, but I'm not trying to get in. All, all I'm saying is, if you're talking about action and blockbusters, this is like enormous. He's pro- he's in Star Wars as well, so he's in yeah. The, the, the like this is easily the biggest movie star on the planet, the biggest uh, action movie, you know, whatever action adventure movie, and he looks like an in shape guy, and it's like. So we talk about this so much and I, I but I, it always amazes me of like he looks great like he's got muscle definition and he looks awesome but you look at like a C team player in one of these Marvel movies like the the backup bad guy or whatever and they look like you know ripped and 0% body fat and he's it's just insane. like yeah, he's just like a good in shape good looking in shape dude like it's so, so different now and it's crazy but he's like he's like washing out his armpits and stuff in the office, and all the women of the office are like watching him change and ooing at him. And all his lines like, are open. It's great. Yeah, he yeah, doesn't realize like a fish. Yeah, a fish in a fishbowl. Um, it's like a, a fun little subplot of Harrison Ford roles in the eighties of like <laughs> women throwing themselves at him as he is befuddled by it. Yeah, you're right. Happens in Indiana Jones too. Yeah, the uh, I love you um, eyelids. Yes. So he's like, all right, look, I, I think I got a breakthrough on this deal. Let's meet up and talk about it. And she's like formulating a plan to crash this wedding to talk to one of the major players of the deal because she can't get direct access to him any other way. And that's what's stymieing this. So there's this kind of funny scene where they're uh, eating a hot dog like in a huge crowd of people. And just from like a filmmaking standpoint, like the wrangling of all these extras and the way that they film this scene makes it feel like claustrophobic, you know, New York City street at lunchtime kind of deal. And he's, like, eating a hot dog and then yelling at her, like, are you trying to cut me out of this deal? And it's like, oh, this is, like, he's, and he's, he's got treating a piece you of, like a business partner. He's got a piece of, uh, like, roll on the side of his mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a piece of hot dog roll just, like, on the yeah corner of his mouth. It's really good. Um, but he's, like, they have this little spat. And she's like, no, like, I'm not trying to cut you out of the deal. I just, like, I have this crazy plan. And he's like, well, I'm coming then. And so they crash this wedding together. But she doesn't say we're crashing a wedding. She's like, I just have a, no. an idea. And it's this really weird wedding that like, kind of makes me uncomfortable as a white person. Yeah, it's very racist. They have like a sort of uh, white invader to the islands theme. I guess it's kind of what it looks like. That's not wrong. It's 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 just weird and uncomfortable. Like everybody, like it's one thing to do like tiki and tropical drinks, and like that's definitely cultural pro- cultural appropriation. But it's also like kind of a weird mishmash of cultures you're appropriating. This one is like, oh, the only people of color at this wedding will be people dressed as servants. Yeah, I. Oh, we also skipped. There is a brief scene between this, like going to the wedding, where Joan Cusack like berates her for not getting back together with Alec Baldwin, who again she caught. In flagrante derelicto, like, can we just, can we just she's like, let her move on? She's even like, you you didn't, you aren't even letting him try and fix this, which isn't yeah. like you. And I'm like, why should she? How about he fixes his way into a wood chipper so I don't have to look at him ever again? Like, F yes. that guy. So we're at the big, we're at the big wedding. Um, and the general attire of the wedding is also really fabulous. Like that's, what's fun about this movie is like, you're getting business attire, you're getting casual attire, you're getting a peek at lingerie of the decade. And then you're getting yeah, wear. Like it's lot. really like all, the whole gamut of fashion in this movie. And all of it is crazy. Um, and, uh, this is where Harrison Ford gets real smooth with a bridesmaid. And he's like, Oh, tell me you don't forget who I am. And yeah, she instantly maximum is like, charm. 
She's like, yeah, I of course I do. Duh. So that Melanie Griffith can talk to the dad and be yeah. like, hey, here's business, business, business. Which, like, yeah, it's, imagining it's that happening to our father, he would be so <laughs> angry so fast. Yeah, I think so. This guy is into it. He's like, suddenly, let's make a deal, wheel and deal in. But yeah, no, I He's one imagine. of the sharks like, on Shark Tank. Yeah, but, like, exactly. I'm, I'm imagining someone at, like, Gig and Emily's wedding just, like, swooping into dad and be like, hey, let's talk business. And he would be like, nope, drop. <laughs> yeah, go away. I don't want to talk to you. Um, they also go uh, at one point she like runs off to this bathroom and then Harrison Ford comes in to talk to her and it is the pinkest Pepto-Bismol bathroom in the but history But also of like really pretty and comfy looking. <laughs> yes, it does have a very nice couch, but also it just looks like someone put Pepto-Bismol into a paint sprayer. <laughs> it's Pepto-Bismol and gold, the whole bathroom. You're just making Steel Magnolia's references without even knowing it now. Um, so they through the dance, she scores the big meeting. At which point they're like, all right, we got work to do. So they go home and Harrison Ford is just like casually smoking a cigar in the scene, which he never does at any other yeah, point. Yeah, I thought that was weird. And I was like, does Harrison Ford just like cigars and one and one in this scene? Which is like probably the explanation for it. Yeah, at this because point they, in his career. They're just they're like sitting at a table going over the numbers and like, you know, doing all this research and stuff. And he's just like he's just got he doesn't even smoke it. I don't think he's just holding a lit cigar during the scene. And this is like the first flicker of like love sleeping in there. They have a moment where they like kind of make eye contact and he's like, uh, well, I guess we better get back to work then. And like, you know, goes quickly back and starts shuffling papers. Head down. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. Right, right, right. Uh, and so they go to the meeting, and I think Melanie Griffith is wearing Sigourney Weaver's glasses? Yes, I think so, too. Very weird. Um, but they're in a meeting with, like, some low-level executives at this organization, and those guys are like, no, we want a TV station. And she's like, yes, I understand that you want a television station. I get it. <laughs> I have an idea to get you there. Like, you people are thinking small potatoes. I'm thinking outside the box, like... Please just listen to my presentation. And of course, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, lady. Get out of here. Uh, but somehow the phone rings and the big boss man is like, I want you to say yes to this. And they're like, oh, OK. And they're like, she's like, well, what was that about? And they're like, well, he heard and he wanted to do it. And she's like, what do you mean? She, How? He yeah, heard. I was so confused. Yeah. This was magic. <laughs> is this room bugged? Because that's got a really upsetting implication, by the way. So um, they get their meeting for the next day. And in bed, we find out that Harrison... Well, they kiss in the lobby right now. Oh, yeah. They make out. We find out in bed... Actually, pause, 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 pause. If you've never seen the movie before, and you've been enjoying our conversation, and you think you're going to watch this movie, I honestly think you should stop listening here and just watch the movie. Because there is... And I guess this is, like, kind of a spoiler, but, like, there's a bit that's about to happen that I had no idea going into, and I, like... It landed really well for me. So uh, just just put it out there. This is like a big sort of thing. Um, where ahead, we find out that Harrison Ford is the guy that Sigourney Weaver was supposed to go skiing with. And he stood her up. And is like, I, you know, I'm in this thing, but I'm not. Like, I've been trying to break it off. And she wanted to go on this vacation. And I didn't want to do it then. And I couldn't figure out when to do it. And then she broke her leg. And you're like, oh, shit. But, like, I, I wish... I wish that there had been a seed or two planted before this. Like when Sigourney Weaver called to say she broke her leg, she should have been like, and the, and like on top of that, he never showed up. Yeah. Like a little something to like plant the seed. Cause otherwise it was like, Oh, it's just an unseen man. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, you also didn't mention that he is telling her this uh, in the midst of their post-coital takeout, which I thought was like a really good guy move. Yeah, it was interesting. Bold choice. But just just the fact that he's like, all right, I'm going to order some Chinese food now was very funny. Anyway. Um, now, what did you want to tell me? Yeah, exactly. Because she's about to confess that she is not really able to make this deal and she's just a secretary. And then we get yet another Let the River Run instrumental. Yeah, and a montage of like putting everything back together. Like she's Sigourney's coming back. And so now she has to like, you know, get her house all back in order and everything. And Sigourney Weaver comes back in a helicopter with a gorilla for some reason? Yeah, giant stuffed gorilla. Was it just a... Was gorillas in the mist before this or after this? Oh, I don't know. That, you think it's just like a cute reference? Maybe. I don't know. It should have been like a stuffed alien. Like a green yeah. alien. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they like go into the office and that memo is up on her computer and she's like, oh... Uh, I hope that you didn't see this, but if you did, I just want to tell you that, like, my boyfriend, Mike, wouldn't, uh, Harrison Ford, wouldn't uh, look at a deal for somebody else because he'd be afraid of it being, like, stolen, or so I had to say it was my idea so that he would look it over, and she's like, I, I she convinced me enough, probably just because oh, I, I wrote passive-aggressive sneaky snake Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, because I was like, well, again, I was like not sure what direction this movie was taking so i was like at this point i was like well maybe she is telling the truth although this is going to be a buck wild resolution um it turns out no she just got caught and lied her way out of it but we don't know that yet she's like because i'm sure if you did see it you would have just asked me right right uh meanwhile harrison ford arrives because she's like been like uh hey i haven't seen you in like a month you should come have sex with me and she's like in bed wearing lingerie with she her made melanie griffith help her get into lingerie yeah yeah and then cover her cast with a blanket like she's hiding it or something uh she also has six bottles of champagne in her mini fridge yeah i mean i like your style and so melanie griffith is trying to leave because she realizes that jack is on his way over and uh, so when Weaver's like, no, you need to get my pills. Um, so she does, and she like hides when she gets back so that he doesn't see her. And she hears him say, like, look, there's, I try. He's trying to tell her there's someone else, right? But he dances around. It's like I have to go. And so Melanie Griffith is like, oh, okay, okay, so there's a chance. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And when she goes to give her the pills, she accidentally leaves her like date book, and Sigourney mm-hmm. Weaver reads it and sees what's happening and like flies off the handle. Yeah, she figures it all out. Uh, meanwhile, they're at the meeting to close this deal and Sigourney like crutches her way into this meeting, like kicks the door open and is like, I had this idea and she stole it from me. This is subterfuge at the highest order and like makes a big scene. Um, she's a lowly secretary. And then when she like Melanie Griffith pushes back and is like, that's not true at all. Sigourney like hilariously faints like over the top, like fainting couch faints oh i need smelling salts so they all like run to uh you know help her out and then she basically steals the deal kicks melanie griffith out of the room which i thought was a weird choice for melanie griffith like she seemed like she would have more pushback at this point yeah and i guess she hasn't she at the in the moment like couldn't figure out how to defend herself which i think is like probably not insane right yeah like she wouldn't have been expecting to have to make this declaration of innocence but it is odd. Like you'd think she would have been fast. Like all of the rest of the is, movie leads. This is the same character who, when she met Harrison Ford's character, 
gave the line, I've got a head for business and a bod for sin, which I was like, that set, that line came out of nowhere for me. Right, right, right. And and she's so quick on her feet through the rest of the movie and shown to be like such an interesting thinker that it surprised me that she didn't defend herself. But we do, because of that, get this amazing shot where she's like all sulky on a pier and like windswept as the sun goes down. Yeah, it's, it's like beautiful. Out of, it's just, I mean, it's, it is a beautiful shot, but also like just totally – you know, an extra 45 seconds of the movie. Um, and also we had to go see this a wedding scene where, so where Joan Cusack gets married so that she and uh, Alec Baldwin be, can talk again. That would be a powder blue tux wedding. You should be specific. Yeah, it is a beautifully ugly bridesmaid dress. Well, no, the tuxedos are powder blue. Oh, I know, but like both, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Alec Baldwin has that, like, it's, I don't know if there's a term for it, but it's like, it's kind of like a scarf, like but a, it's not. An ascot? But it's not tied. It's just around the shoulders. They like men wear it with tuxedos often. I've seen it's like a scarf. It probably has another word, but it's Cravat? usually like white. Maybe that's what the word is. But it's white. Usually it looks like silk, but it's just like around the shoulders casually. Um, but yeah, they have this like long uh, back and forth. At which case, at which snip, point we snip, that Alec, snip. Yeah, Alec Baldwin is he's got a new uh, girlfriend or fiance, I guess, but. I don't know if you notice this watching it, but the and I keep finding like really small technical details to be impressed by in this movie. But the sound mix here is like really loud heels clacking on the pavement. And it like really enhances this the awkwardness of this conversation with like how loud the heels are and like punctuating the silence with this like click clack of other people. I did not notice that. Um, I thought it was really well done. It was like a just again, like a really small thing. But, you know analyzing it as you're watching it like the the way that they use the sound of other people having this joyous occasion around these two people having like a really awkward tough time i really thought was great yeah um so now she's clearing out her office or for her desk and the whole office loves her yeah no that she's like the biggest star sigourney's little toady never comes back like we thought she was going to yeah, that is true. I didn't think about that until just now, but she really doesn't have anything to do after that I part. was like, don't give us a character and do nothing with it. Right. Um, so Melanie Griffith goes down to the lobby and drops her thing, and Harrison Ford comes over to help her, and we get the whole, like, you was you falling in love with me part of the, part of the game? Right, right. It started as a bet, but I fell in <laughs> love with you. Yes, yeah. There she goes. So kiss um, me. Uh, but yeah, they have this like little meeting and then the big confrontation when Harrison Ford like takes her side in front of the business people, which I really like. Um, and then there's this really great uh, bit where like Sigourney and the old guy are on the elevator with a bunch of other people who are part of this deal and Harrison Ford like won't get on the elevator and they're calling him crazy and like the like, oh, stop thinking with your little head and all this this nonsense and he's like well I'm not in until she's in and then the I door forget- shuts and Melanie Griffith is like well I hope she's told you about the hole in the deal as the door shuts and he's like yeah. hold up <laughs> he hits the door open button gets out of the elevator lets it shut and then she gets a literal elevator pitch to like a literal elevator story. pitch yes. I was yes. so excited cuz that <laughs> yeah, never happens no no it is really a hoot that like literally she makes an elevator pitch and which she's like he he just asked her one question he's like how would you come up with the idea for this and she explains like this kind of convoluted 
gossip column connect the dots path she made to like figure out how this would work which i thought was really interesting like again really good writing to show like this character it was great writing because it it put it in very clear terms you're like oh that makes sense actually but also it's like this character who reads page six and reads the gossip column and like you know people magazine or whatever that everybody shits on for not reading the business times is able to use this as like research to better her position as a business person which i thought was cool like yeah i like that know, she, she's she's able to use this to her advantage she's a different kind of business person they somehow beat them to the floor which doesn't make a lot of sense to me no. like they get there although before. i guess they were the only ones in the elevator the other elevator that's had true people in it but, but they he, get off first yeah. and he's like hey so gordon weaver how'd you come up with this idea and she's like um uh i don't know which is crazy to me like how are you a successful business person and this bad at lying? Yeah, I would have been like, um, I came this, like, to you've, me. You've, but like, you've never had to just like come up with an answer for something on the spot and then like deal with the repercussions later because that happens to me on a fairly regular basis. Like, yeah. And not saying that like I'm some unprepared schlub, but like sometimes you get asked a curveball question and you're like, well, I guess I better come up with something uh, on my feet now, and then I'll deal with it later. And, like, sometimes dealing with it later is like, hey, that idea is not great. Let's try to come up with a better one. But, like, how is this never – like, how do you not have anything? She literally Especially stammers. Especially as sneaky snake as she is. I know. She's just like, help me out, Harrison Ford. And he's like, nah, I'm good. And then she just stutters some more, and then that's it. It's crazy. Yeah, and he's like, you should – so she's, like, storms off to her office because I guess – it, it was, it was, I was like, oh, I like that she still is like, I'm in charge here, even though she clearly just got dethroned. Right. Well, the other, the guy is like, you better go clean out your office because I'm going to get you fired. So cut to a cute lunchbox that Harrison Ford is preparing for Melanie Griffith. Well, the guy offers her a job. And the a guy, quote unquote, entry level position. Yes. And I, then, and I'm writing angry notes here. Like, what a dick. Like, entry level. She, like, what is that? Like, what does that mean? You asshole. How could you do this? It was vague enough. Yeah. Um, so she goes to the new job and she sees a woman in an The lunchbox is very cute. I didn't mean to cut you off for that. It was he's cute. Like, he's like, he packs her lunch like it's her first day of school. And it's like cute. And like, it, 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 without context, it would feel like someone talking down to someone, but it's not. It's really sweet. Yeah. He's like, here's some milk money. I want you to play nice with the other kids today. Uh-huh, like, it's, uh-huh. it's a sweet little moment. Peanut butter and jelly with the crust cut off and an apple for the teacher. Um, and so she sees a woman in an office. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm so sorry. They are also in the midst of this scene eating each toast, a bowl of cereal, uh, orange juice, freshly squeezed orange juice. And then also it looks like eggs. Like they're doing a cereal commercial, complete balanced breakfast before work in the morning. <laughs> complete balanced breakfast. Yeah. This 3,200 calorie complete balanced <laughs> breakfast. For Michael sorry. Phelps. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, she sees a woman in the office talking on the phone with her feet up, and she's like, oh, well, that's my new boss, so I'm going to sit at this desk. And then the woman comes out, and she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I was just on the phone. And Melanie Griffith is like, that- that's fine. And yeah. when, the- when the woman's like, coffee, Melanie Griffith goes to get it. And she's like, no, no, no I'll-, I'll get it. And she says, I'll take milk and sugar, which is so vague. Like, that's not a, that's not a coffee order. Yes. Um. So she comes back, and there's this wonderful moment where the woman's like you know that's your desk and melanie griffith is like but the secretary would sit out here and she goes yeah i do (laughs) me yes and i prefer assistant yeah which i thought was a nice little like you know little piece there um 
Also, in this scene, it's Melanie Griffith is wearing the same jacket she was wearing in the kitchen, but I thought she was wearing Harrison Ford's coat in the kitchen. <laughs> it, it fits her so poorly. It's a She's Heather's wearing, jacket. I know, but it was like. When they were in the kitchen, I was like, oh, like she's wearing his jacket. Like, you know, that happens all the time. And then I was like, wait a minute. Nope. That's her jacket. That it's is hers. just enormous. Um, so, yeah, she's a big boss lady. She's a yeah, business she calls, lady. She calls Joan Cusack from her office phone and is like, guess what I'm calling you from? My corner office phone or whatever she says. I don't know if it's a corner office. Uh, and then all the other secretaries are like, yeah. And then let the river run. Carly's and we're out of here. Back, yeah. 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 Um, final thoughts it's a fun movie i really enjoy it it's not perfect but it's good yeah mom um, I, thank you for suggesting it yeah it was a good suggestion i do uh two things since i think other people out there might be like you've said the sassy companion piece to die hard 96 times and not justified it um i could totally see this being the holly Gennaro story <gasps> i am into that like this could absolutely like if you you know, retitled the characters. This could absolutely have been like a reasonable facsimile of what it took for Holly Gennaro to become the powerful. Is Sigourney Weaver Mr. Nakatomi? Well, it's not a one to one <laughs> thing. <laughs> no, because Mr. Nakatomi is like a good dude. <laughs> he, he like has a lot of respect for her as a as a person, regardless of her you know gender, and then also hates Ellis. So he seems right. like a good dude. That's but, fair. But it just like, I like part of the subtext of Die Hard is, and it doesn't certainly is not a movie about that at all. But part of it is, you know, this, this woman seeking to be her own person in a time when that wasn't as much of a thing. And John McClane not being a great person in supportive person and adjusting to that. So I thought it was like, it's a little crazy, like it's circuitous, but I could see you like watching Working Girl and thinking about it as like sort of Holly Gennaro's backstory probably would work, I think. I agree with that. I mean, you get you got to get Bonnie Bedelia in there, but that's, you know, a whole different kettle of fish. Also, that that quote is from Bob's Burgers. Yes. If you yeah, don't know. Um, but here's the here's the million dollar question I have, I guess. And I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Uh, working Girl or nine to five? Nine to five. I think so, too. And I think, honestly, the only reason is because it's a comedy. Like, it's an out-and-out comedy that I think still makes me laugh. Honestly, if you re- drop Sigourney Weaver into as, as like, the nosy, um, like, toady of yeah, yeah. J- uh, Dabney, Dabney Coleman, Coleman yeah. would be into that. Or yeah. Joan Cusack. Either one of yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really dig uh, Working Girl. I think it's it's totally worth your time. It's great. Seen it. It's it's good. It is a little long, and that's like part of my preference for nine to five too. I think it's a little bit shorter, although I'm not sure it's not that much shorter. Um, but it's just it's like a light drama, I guess. Like I don't know, I, I don't know what box to I would put say this light movie drama. In. Yeah, because it's not funny. Romantic, dra- romantic yeah. workplace drama. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's a romantic drama is is it. But it, and it's a nice story and like I believe the two of them they have good chemistry together although I think Harrison Ford in 1988 could probably have had good chemistry with a broom handle. True. Um <laughs> it's like it like maximum charm Harrison Ford here. Um but yeah, you have really great performances from everybody and this is my uh you know the Kate Hudson corollary, the uh this is this is Melanie Griffiths by far uh, you know, best performance, and uh, you know, to use the sports analogy of like, you know, occasionally a player whose average has just like a really great day. And that doesn't really make sense in the context of filming a movie, which takes several weeks. Like, 
you would think that over People just the get the right of, project. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. It's like a good pairing of material and person, and also director who's able to get a lot out of them, and all the other pieces that you know. Obviously, movie making is a collaborative, super duper collaborative effort, even beyond individual. Even as part of talking about individual performances, like it's always collaborative. But it's just it's interesting. Like you you see that from time to time with an actor or actress. That you're like, oh my gosh, like, I thought that person sucked. And then they're in a movie and you're like, they were great in that. And then you're like, like, I've definitely been fooled by that of like, oh, let me go see another movie by that person. You're like, oh no, it was just the one. The one off. <laughs> it was just the one. Yeah. It was just like the perfect storm of circumstances that were, you know, it's like, I don't particularly enjoy any of Kate Hudson's other movies, but I think she's a 10 on like, 10. I think Skeleton Key is one is fun bad. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen that. I mostly saw like a bunch of her terrible romantic comedies. She was in that stupid one with the airplanes and the gold with Matthew yes. McConaughey. Yeah, she was in several with Matthew McConaughey. I'm supr- uh, I'm honestly a little surprised that this movie hasn't gotten remade with like Emma Stone or Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's right around the corner, honestly, because they they're remaking everything. Oh, uh, the speaking of remakes that uh, we tied into the uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels uh, remake finally came out this month. It did. So, yeah, you it can did. Go peak our episode. Uh, they even. Uh, put a little cutesy uh thing on tagline thing on the on the poster in the lobby of the movie theater I was at. They had like it wasn't a poster; it was one of those big cardboard things you can take your picture yeah. in. You can like pretend to be driving the car, and it was like something like I'm not. I should have taken a picture, but it was like something along the lines of like not not ju- it's not only men, old men that can be dirty and rotten or something like that. But it was like very. Like cutesy working dirty rotten scoundrels into there, huh? Um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, so that's also out now. If you're looking for something else to to tie into that, we we did that episode way back when. <laughs> Once upon a time. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget about listener request month. Uh, call in if you need the number. Listen to the beginning of this episode or or go online. Uh, where I've corrected it now everywhere. Uh, but we need yeah. those calls by May 31st, so make sure you get those in. Uh, we're looking forward to, to doing that with you all. We really need your help, and we really appreciate it. Uh, as always, tell two friends if you like the show. Get on out there and uh, let them know about this podcast that you like, and uh, that's the best way to spread the word about the show. And if you'd like more content from us, uh, there's a really easy way to get it. If you join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash dissectingthe80s, there are multiple rewards tiers with different rewards, but at the $5 level right now, if you jump in, you're getting multiple bonus episodes the second that you sign up. So highly recommend you check that out. If you want more Dissecting the 80s, it's just a few bucks away. Um, we're also on all the social media, Facebook and Twitter. It's Dissect the 80s on Twitter and Dissecting the 80s on Facebook. Um, someone uh, was just recently asking us about doing a group instead of a page and uh i'm a thousand years old and don't quite understand that but if someone wanted to do that i would be totally cool with it uh, i guess we should Maybe be tangentially involved yeah i someone specifically was asking about a facebook group as opposed to uh uh the page so i i would be happy for anyone to, to jump on that if you want to do that please you have our blessing just uh loop us you know tag us or post it on the page so we know about it um, but yeah, that would be awesome. Anyway, uh, thank you all for the support that way. It means a whole heck of a lot to us. We really appreciate it. Uh, lastly, don't forget to review the show. If you haven't done that yet, uh, review the show uh, on iTunes and we'll get it and be able to read it on the air. If you review it somewhere else, just send us a screenshot so we can read it for you. But we really appreciate those reviews. So thank you for that. 
Um, we will be back in two weeks with uh, the other half of this themeless May month. Why? Be- ah, the uh, John Belushi biopic tying into that Elton John biopic coming at the end of uh, of May, I believe. Uh, it looks so fun. We- the Elton John one? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wired is on YouTube if anybody would like to watch it in advance. Uh, you just said search Wired John Belushi. It comes right up. It's a VHS rip because it's never been released elsewhere, but it's easily accessible on the YouTubes. Uh, so that will be on the 20th of May. So we'll be back May 20th with Wired, the John Belushi story starring Michael Chiklis. Uh, thank you again so much for listening. I have been Triplano. I will always be Andrew Lano. Until May 20th. Don't you forget about me. Dissecting the 80s is a chum sum of this production. Ow.